0: Welcome to Conversations About Life.
1: Well, thanks, Amanda, for getting together with me. Thank you, Will. And so we were just talking um, about your church a little bit and how things mm-hmm. have been going during the pandemic and um, the interaction you all have had in Zoom. Um I kind of find the technical aspect a little clunky, though. Like when you're in person, Mm -hmm. it is, um, you know, there's more communication because there's body language and all kinds of things. Um, But the interaction is neat.
0: Yeah, I think there's something that you miss by having church over Zoom. But on the other hand, the anonymity of it, you know you're a little bit more removed from other people and so in some instances I I feel like people are a little bit more apt to speak hmm. up yeah. whereas maybe they wouldn't in a mm-hmm. social setting yeah I don't know that's how I feel but I'm a pretty introverted person so yeah <laughs> maybe that's just me
1: so as far as just a, a little bit of an introduction of you um you're married with a couple of children, Mm -hmm. and you live in the South County area, but you're a part of an inner city church called The Gate, Mm -hmm. and how long have you been there?
0: Oh, um, it's been maybe eight years, maybe. I grew up in Arnold, and my husband and I attended church at Rockport um, for about four years, and... um, we, we actually look back on that time in our lives with a lot of fond memories. Um, but I remember while we were at Rockport, um, two pastors came to the church, two black pastors, and they wanted to start an urban church plant. And they were casting their vision and looking for people to join them. And so my husband and I were really interested in that because... Um, Like you mentioned, we live in South County, which is kind of in between Rockport and St. Louis, and um, we wanted to be more involved in ministry and just able to do more tangible things to serve and help Mm -hmm. communities, and so we were really interested in that, and so we joined this church plant.
1: (laughs) Now, were there others who went from uh, Rockport to the gate also?
0: <clears throat> yeah actually at, at the beginning um, when the pastors were sort of casting their vision at some different like minded churches and looking for people to join there were there was kind of a kind of a large group at first who were really interested. but then when it came down to when it really came down to it, um, it ended up being a, a core group of maybe twenty or twenty five people but from multiple churches. So I think there were um, two other people from Rockport who came okay. also.
1: And um, are they still there at the gate? No. no they just you and Mark? Yeah. Okay. Well, how's the gate doing?
0: Good. The gate Good. is doing well. Um, it was, it's been really interesting being a part of a church plant um, mm. and just all the process um, that goes into that. Although it's been eight years, I don't know if it is really correct to call us a church plant anymore Mm -hmm. Um, you know we're not in our infancy and we um, were able to move into an actual church building a -hmm. few years in Mm -hmm. Um, so that's been really wonderful
1: and are you all self-supporting now like supporting your pastor and your
0: yeah Um, at first we needed support from other churches and Mm -hmm. now we're we're self-supporting although um although i think just about everyone um is volunteer okay and so like our like pastor Kyle is um he he has his own full-time job okay so we don't support him full-time right and and that's been difficult too we don't have paid staff like full-time paid staff mm-hmm. everything's volunteer so that gets difficult
1: and What percentage of the church is from the community that the church building is in?
0: Um, You know, I'm not really sure where everyone lives. I would say that um, more of our church is black than white. And then we have um, like one couple from Belize and one um, Asian. But we're mostly mostly black, a mostly black and kind of white church. (laughs) Actually, at the very beginning, um, you know, it's funny, my husband Mark and I, when we first learned about the church and its vision, we're really excited about it. And I mean, we knew that it might be a little uncomfortable um, just learning how to, you know, work with people that you're not used to being around. I mean, Mark and I both grew up in very white areas and actually looking back I feel like I was kind of kind of naive about some things Um, you know I probably would have said at the time like oh I don't see color and we're all the same and um, I mean we are in worth and value definitely but I I feel like I was just kind of naive to some things Um, and for a while I was the only white girl Um, and then, and then we gathered some more white people, but, um, it's actually been a really, really important blessing in my life to feel what it's like to be a minority. I mean, how often, you know, and how many spaces do white people get to feel like what it feels like to be a minority in a community? Mm-hmm. and realizing like, oh, you know, some some things culturally or some songs or the books that we read and talk about as a church like, may not be things that I would normally listen to or read or think about on my own. Even some theological aspects that I would not, you know, have thought about or talked about in churches that I grew up in.
1: So when you say being a minority, it's not just um, a minority and skin color but a minority in culture right Right. but then
0: but then i have to think about oh well that's probably what black people feel like all the time when they move around in white spaces you Mm -hmm. know if you're at a, a church or a school or any or in a grocery store or anything where like maybe you're the only black person and everyone else is white you're kind of just used to that feeling um, and we white people just aren't used to that feeling at all. And it's, it's humbling. I think mean, it teaches you to pause and say, oh, maybe I could consider other people more and their feelings and what feels normal to them.
1: I wonder if um, the, um, you know, the culture and the color... You know, being black or white are kind of two different things. For example, like a, a black person growing up in a white culture, if they feel more at home than if their whole culture is different and they're in a white setting type of culture.
0: Sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes I've heard um, I've heard people communicate something like that, where. Um, you know, maybe you're a black person who grows up in a white culture or a white area and the the way that you speak or different things that you might do may seem more culturally white. But then I think they feel really conflicted because, you know, they may still experience a lot of things that black people would experience, like um, like white people looking at them funny or following them around in a store or just being kind of nervous or hesitant around them Mm -hmm. and I think you know those are things that we don't as the majority culture we don't really experience Mm -hmm. so um, I'll just tell a little bit more about our church and just kind of my feelings about things that I've kind of learned from being there so when we started at the gate some years ago um, I remember when the when the Trayvon Martin case happened. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that.
1: Yeah, like he was the fellow who was killed by um, kind of a another guy who was like a self-appointed guard. Right, of right. Not, area. not
0: a police officer, but I remember when that happened, that was kind of when I first started seeing black people um, in our church say things like justice for Trayvon and kind of putting pictures on their Facebook pages. And that was... The first time I'd ever heard anyone say anything like that before. Like, I'd never in my life heard, heard that. And I didn't know what was going on. And I was too embarrassed to, to ask. Um, but it, it was only some people. It wasn't that huge what it felt like to me. And then later, when Michael Brown was shot here in St. Louis, it was like it was like everyone's emotions at the gate. It was like everyone's hearts were just ripped open and everyone was just spilling out their fear and their anxiety and their anger. And my husband and I were like, oh my gosh, what is happening here? And we didn't really understand what was going on. And it, it was really like awkward to to ask. You know, it felt like, oh my gosh, if I even ask, I mean, these people everyone is hurting, I don't want to hurt them or offend them by saying, I don't know what's going on here, guys.
1: Um, Like, you knew what was going on in the news, right? Right. So when you say you don't know what is going on, it's like you didn't understand their emotional response to it. Is that what you mean?
0: Right, right. And then for the next year, you know, we just read about it in, in the news constantly because they were trying to decide if they were even going to indict the police officer not even, like, charge him with anything. They were just trying to decide if he would be indicted. And so, like, for the whole next year, we're constantly reading about this in the news, and I don't remember how long the gate had been around at that point. Maybe a year or two. I don't know. I feel like we all now have much more deeper relationships with each other and trust each other more and can talk about it more. Mm -hmm. And I can just very humbly and openly say, like, I don't get it. Can you tell me? But at the time, it was so new to me, I didn't know how to ask. Um, And then a year later is when they came out with the announcement that the police officer wouldn't be indicted. And and that announcement came out in, in Clayton at the courthouse. And I work in Clayton. And our office building was on lockdown that day and we were all wondering like when is this announcement coming so that we can all get home safely because it was kind of known that there would be a lot of protests and even sitting right behind our office building was like 10 fire trucks and 20 police cars like they were ready to like zoom out and pounce you could tell like we knew it wasn't going to be pretty Um, and then when that announcement came out again it was like Everyone in our church, people who we had grown to love and serve and minister next to, it was like it was like their hearts had been ripped open. And I remember that evening, my husband and I were sitting at home, sitting in front of our computer screen, and we had dual computer screens. And on one computer screen, we were watching like the news live of all the protesters and such, and people in the streets who were angry. And then on our other computer screen, we were just watching our Facebook news feed of all of the black people that we had come to know just voicing their, their fear and their anxieties. And it was so sad. And we're like, what? We don't even know what to say. And, um, and, and it really felt like at that point to me, it felt like there is something plaguing my community here. And I, I don't know what it is. And I felt terrible that I didn't know what it was. It was like, it was like there, there's a, there's a plague or a disease, and it's really, really affecting them. And I don't know what it is, and I feel, but it's not affecting me, you know. And so, it was around that point that I thought, okay, I need to figure this out. Like, this is my, this is my church community, and um, it was a little difficult. Um, kind of awkward you know but we never thought about leaving or anything like that would have been easy you know like let's just go to a white church where people don't have these conversations or like we don't have to think about this it doesn't affect us if we just go to a white church we can just pretend like this never happened um but like that that was even a thought in our mind at the time so I thought okay I, I have to figure this out so I started um I started reading more and like just researching and I learned a lot of things that we can get into, um, if you want, but after, um, maybe not after that police shooting, it was that after another, another police shooting, I forget which one, there've been so many. Um, and, and of course the circumstances around each one are a little bit different.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, you know, I feel a little bit differently about each one and, you know, there, there are some that I'm like, okay, well, like what else was the police officer really supposed to do there? But then there have been some cases that have really gotten me and have really scared me, and I can see um, why the black community is so scared. But I remember after one, after another police shooting, I messaged my pastor, Kyle. I private messaged him on Facebook, and I was like, Kyle, I am so embarrassed to ask this question out loud I don't want to hurt anyone at church by putting this question out there, but why does it, why does it feel like black people are defending criminals all the time? <laughs> and um, I feel silly putting that like saying this right now, but I, I, I know that I had that question at one time too, so I, under, I completely understand that other white people have that same question. Why does it seem like black people are defending criminals all the time? And um, Kyle told me two things that might help the rest of this conversation. One, he said, they're not defending criminals. They just don't think they should get the death penalty. And if they do deserve the death penalty, they should get it from a judge and jury, not a police officer. And so that was like a light bulb moment to me, like, oh, I've never never thought of that before like yeah maybe poli- like, maybe we could do better I think we could do better like, maybe police officers can do better maybe there are other things that we could think about and, but secondly he pointed out to me that crime isn't it's not like a skin color thing I know white people are always asking about well, what about black on black crime and the black crime rates are just so high um, but really, it's not, the right, it's not the right question to be asking. It's not that crime is a black thing. It's an, it's an economic thing. It's a poverty thing. And so I know a lot of white people point out more higher crime rates among black people than white people, like percentage-wise. But really dividing it up by racial groups is not the right way to look at it. If you look at crime rates by socioeconomic levels, like if you're looking at everyone in a low economic bracket or a middle economic bracket or or high, high income, if you look at it like that, most crime falls among communities in that low income bracket. And then if you're just looking at that low income bracket crime among white people and black people are pretty much the same
2: mm-hmm. it's
0: not a race thing it's a, it's a poverty thing
2: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, my husband worked at the St. Louis County Jail for 7 or 8 years and he, he has some stories, he, would, he could talk about that forever but he, he would agree that crime, I mean a, a lot of reasons why people are in jail have to do with issues of poverty And so if that's the question we're asking or if that's the way that we pose the conversation, then a better question is, well, why is most or more of the black community as a whole in that low-income bracket? What could possibly have happened in America's history that has put the majority of the black community in that low-income bracket where they're more susceptible to poverty and crime and more of them going to jail, things like that. I think if we're on that track, if you're asking those questions, it'll lead you down a good path where you can think about this, this whole conversation that we're having, that you can think about it all in much more compassionate terms. Um, Because it just doesn't feel compassionate to me. We're very... It doesn't feel like a gospel answer if we're looking at the black community and saying well, why can't they get their act together? Or why can't they just pull themselves up by their own bootstraps? Or why can't they just do better? Or those kids should just work on their homework more. They should try harder. Don't do crime. And I... I sense that um, that's what I hear a lot from the white community aimed at the black community. And since I am white and I thought all of those same things at one time, too, like I have some some patience and compassion for that because I at one time was asking those same questions. I just think about it differently now. And I, I guess because I've gotten to know the black community and I understand a little bit better, um, about what they face and why they're there and, and what they're trying to communicate.
1: You know, um, kind of going back when it was like you were having a hard time getting it sometimes, how other people were feeling in your church community. Um, was it that you um, saw injustice like in the Michael Brown case um, or and you, it, you just didn't have the same emotional reaction? Or was it that you didn't um, get the, uh, there was a difference in like, is this a just thing or an unjust thing? Um,
0: yeah. I mean, I feel like, um, like I said, every case is different. different yeah. And especially with my husband working at the jail and being kind of in the law enforcement community, um, I we both definitely have the tendency to like really want to look at the details and um, and think through like, okay, I know that looks bad, but you don't know what led up to it, and what like what else. What, did, what do you really expect the police officer to do in that situation? Mm-hmm. And so I'm totally understanding. I'm totally understanding about that sort of thing, definitely. But now I also kind of wonder, like, okay, but do we... Is it really okay how many people die at the hands of the police? Right. I mean, couldn't, couldn't it be better? Couldn't we do better, especially in some cases, like... Um, What was the other one in Minneapolis? I think Philando Castile, I think that was his name, really got me because the black man had been pulled over because I think he had a taillight out or something. And, uh, you know, the police officer just walked up to his window to tell him. And the, the man said, just to let you know, I'm concealing and carrying, which is legally what you're supposed to say and um, the, you know, the police officer is asking for his license and registration and he goes to reach for it but the police officer is like, no, put your hands up, put your hands up because he thought the police officer was afraid that he was reaching for a gun. And I completely understand and sympathize with how difficult police officers' jobs are and they, we, we can't expect them to be... Um, you know, clairvoyant. <laughs> they don't know and understand everything. Um, but that police officer just shot him right in the car. Just shot him because he was kind of afraid that he, he was reaching for a gun, even though he was being honest and telling him, I, Just to let you know, I'm concealing and carrying. I'm getting my wallet right now. And the officer just shot him. And and at church, the Sunday after that happened, all the black men are standing around in our vestibule, having a very, very serious conversation about how they conceal and carry, and they get pulled over by the police at higher rates than white people do. So what should they do in that situation? And they're having very serious, scary conversations about, okay, the next time I get pulled over by the police and I, have a, and I have a gun on me, do I tell them? Should I not tell them? Should I ask to get out of the car and ask them to get my license themselves? Like, what, what should I do? And I, I thought it was so sad that these men have to think about this. And I wondered, are white men having this conversation at their churches this morning? Um, so there are definitely things that they're scared about mm-hmm. that we're just not as scared about. Yeah. And also, like I mentioned um, a lot more black people are in that lower income bracket whereas mm-hmm. white people kind of span all of those income brackets yeah so i think it all is just very more concentrated in their mm-hmm. community yeah whereas for white people maybe it's you know we just don't feel that right but it's the black community is more concentrated in that lower income bracket so all of these things affect affect them more whereas yeah. maybe it's we like we don't feel that or or sense that because white people are kind of spread out among right. the income brackets if that makes sense
1: and you mentioned the difference being economic levels as far as crime you know crime going with that, and I think that um, I hope that that's understood um, like I don't think people think that someone who has black skin is more inclined to commit crime because they have black skin, like if the skin color makes any difference, you know, in that regard. But it, there are, um, like you said, econ- you know, economic things like fam the areas of the city that are really, you know, just a lot of broken families and. Um, and impoverished, you know, economic levels. And there's more crime and and, and that type of thing. And, it's, um, and you were asking about, um, you know, why, what in our history has brought that about. So, you know, I've thought this is just really a, a complicated, ty- it's a generational type of thing. Mm-hmm. And there's no, like, easy answer because... Um, Um, you know, it's like, you know, you learn from your family and your parents and you have that support system and that is what helps bring up, you know, people who function well and, and, um, are disciplined and, and, um, know how to do life and everything like that. And when you don't have that, um, there's not a quick fix, um, and it seems like um, in s- perhaps, and I'm not real knowledgeable about this, but perhaps in some ways when the government has been trying to um, support people at you know, low levels of the economy, that maybe that kind of c- can help um, just this, this setting keep going on because people don't need each other, they need the government. And, um, and then families can, uh, you know, then there becomes like a new way of life that doesn't depend upon a husband and wife, depending upon one another and raising kids together. And, um, but it depends upon government support and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. I, um, I, I can understand those, co- those questions. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I wouldn't say that black um, black families have fallen apart and are poor because they're dependent on government support. That's not the right way to look at it. Right. <laughs>
1: but um, does um, does that uh, continue uh, like? Uh, the, you know broken families do you think or contribute to it or do
0: um, I would say I'm not an expert on this but let, let me throw some thoughts out sure. there let, let me share some things so um, definitely broken families or impoverished families like poverty continues it's kind of a cycle
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, um, and so we. I think I think white people should be asking, like, how has the black community gotten to where it is? Mm-hmm. And should we feel any like remorse or responsibility? Like, what should be our response? Mm-hmm. I think is what people are talking about and and wondering and yeah. Um, and some people don 't care at all, and some, and some people care a lot, and so what, what how what should our feeling be so some things that um, stick out to me that um, that i 'll try to talk about, and why I think I think we should care more and not just like blame black people, <clears throat> because I think that 's what it feels like. It feels like white people are pointing fingers at black people and saying. Well, can't you guys just do better, or take care of your families, or, you know, if it's if it's your fault, then we don't need to care. Yeah, and
1: I don't, I don't really think of it that way. Like, I think how you're raised has such a huge impact on the person. So, if a person's raised up in such a way that they're I mean, they don't have a dad. I mean, these things are so important that it's not like, you know, you understand um, how hard that can be and how, um, so it's not so much like um, just um, blaming um, them, black people, um, and saying, shape up, but it's more like the pro- it's under the problem's understandable you know that's it's more like more like that i guess um,
0: i think the the layer that i would want to point out mm-hmm. i'm not saying that that is wrong or anything but i think the layer that white people aren't as aware of or aren't thinking about or talking about um, that should be laid like transposed over that that mm-hmm. we should talk about <laughs> is is this um so, some, some history. Um, so, here in St. Louis, we are still very, very segregated. Mm-hmm. And segregation was not all that long ago. Like, we're not yeah. talking about a thousand years ago. We're right. talking about decades ago. Mm-hmm. Um, wha- white people told black people, you're going to live here. And and you're not going to get the same education as white people. Can't go to the same churches, participate in the same white communities, have the same network of wealthier people to learn from or emulate or to help you get jobs. You're going to live here. Um, and so you're going to stay at that lower income bracket because there's no upward mobility for you. And so you're not going to make as much money. And so you're not going to produce as many tax dollars, Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: your tax dollars get pumped back into your schools, and your police departments, and your mayors, Mm -hmm. so all of that is at a lower level. Mm -hmm. And even when segregation became illegal at the national level, it was still legal at the bank level,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and so mortgage companies weren't lending to black people, and so in St. Louis we stayed segregated Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and then even even when it became illegal at the institutional level people, individuals could still write into their mortgage documents, housing covenants racial covenants that I promise I will not sell my house to a black family and that was still going on here in South County where we are right now in the in the 80s. In my lifetime. Wow. So it's no wonder that we're still segregated mm-hmm. here in St. Louis. And I think I think in other cities, they have integrated more. Um, black and white people have integrated better after segregation. And so... And that creates a lot of advantages for the black community. Um, and so... Um, the black community has done better in some other cities. But St. Louis is such a good example of the negative effects of racism and segregation and how it still, still impacts them Mm -hmm. because we are still segregated. Mm -hmm. Because in my lifetime, there were still black people trying to get into a good, safe neighborhood, into the good school districts, And there were still white people saying, oh, a black family has my house under contract? Oh, I'm not going to sell my house. And they're trying to keep their neighborhoods white. And so when I look at a black friend my age, I think, what what if that was her parents? What if her parents tried to move into a nicer community, a nicer school district? um but couldn't because mm-hmm. a white family wouldn't sell their house to them and then do they keep trying to move into a better community or do they just feel nervous like oh is this the reception I'm going to get mm-hmm. is this how are my kids going to be treated in the school maybe I'll just stay on the north half of St. Louis maybe it's just safer to live to stay in a black community even though their school districts are rated so poorly
2: mm-hmm.
0: and there's not a lot of tax dollars going into them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and your, your primary and secondary education have so much impact on your outlook in life. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot more than just families, it's, it's a whole community. It's about the kind of education that you're getting.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, the better education that you get, the more money that you're going to make mm-hmm. and the more stable families that you're going to have and the less stress that you put on your family.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And impoverished families are stressed mm-hmm. and, and are broken families.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I don't think it's... I don't think we should say, oh, well, it's the broken families. It's more like poverty. And and if I could just say one more thing. um, And so it's even deeper than that. It's not just that, oh, we're going to put all black people in one half of St. Louis where you can't make as much money and can't get the same education, and so you don't have the same tax dollars going into your school districts, and you can't hire as good of teachers. In fact, we have to give you Teach for America teachers who aren't even real teachers. And I have nothing against Teach for America. They're wonderful, but they're they're not even teachers. So you get those teachers. And your tax dollars that they're not creating a lot of tax dollars also funnel into their police departments. And they don't have they don't have enough tax dollars to pay their police departments. So what we have in North St. Louis in all of the little black poor municipalities this, this is crazy if you look at um, each municipality doesn't have enough tax dollars to pay their police officers and their mayors and their fire departments and so they actually have to make up that revenue from fining from police officers fining people hmm. so that's why you have police officers in these black communities and maybe this is different in other cities but in St. Louis where we are still very very segregated and we see the residual effects of that segregation still happening in the little poor black municipalities police officers have to pull over black people left and right and fine them for all kinds of things in order to generate revenue for their own paychecks And I'm sure when... And of course these are mostly black communities with mostly white police officers.
2: Hmm.
0: So I can understand that I'm sure those police officers didn't go into... Didn't go into the police force knowing that they would have to be a human ATM machine. And... And... When those police officers have to pull over black people all the time, I'm sure that's not like individual racism, like, oh, I hate this black person, I'm going to pull him over. (laughs) Um, That's probably how it feels to black people, though. Like, why do we have to get pulled over all the time when in these other nicer white communities the police officers don't do that? Why do they have to do that to us? And so I'm sure from that white police officer, it's not like individual racism, but then you have to look at the larger picture, like, why is this a good situation at all? Why do the police officers in these municipalities have to find people in order to make their own paychecks? That's, that's when I think it's appropriate to start using words like systems or structural racism, like, okay. At a higher level, at a bird's-eye view, the structure of the situation is unjust. It's wrong. And so maybe we should end these municipalities. That's what other cities do. Other cities are not structured the way that St. Louis is structured.
1: Um, Like, are there quotas? Is that what, you know, for um, police officers? Because they're probably not thinking... um, I'm want to pull someone over to contribute to, you know, the revenue, but they, are they like, well, I have to pull a certain number over because that's a quota or something? Do you know?
2: Okay.
0: I don't know. Okay. I just know I have seen, um, I have seen these numbers. You, there are certain black, mostly black municipalities, and like sixty percent of their revenue comes from. Finding people whereas that's not something that we deal with in um middle and upper class municipalities which are mainly white Mm -hmm. but to me it starts with it starts with the education like what do we really expect if you can't get a good education there's no upward mobility you're not you can't produce a lot of tax dollars and so you can't pay you can't pay good teachers or even really great police officers i mean if you're an experienced really good police officer you're going to get a job at like Brentwood where the starting salary is like $25,000 higher Hmm. than, you know, in St. Louis City.
1: So why are, you know, is it white police officers in the black communities, um, it seems like the people policing a community, would be nice if they were from that community. Um, you know, do you have any thoughts about, you know, why it's like that? or?
0: I don't know, but I think that is a good suggestion. Like, oh, how could we create more of that
2: Mm -hmm.
1: so I can see yeah it's not just broken fan I mean it's a big cycle and like you said education um, the tax dollars the lack of tax dollars going into the community to provide for things it's like a it's like a trap it seems like
0: exactly it's like a trap and so other when you look at other major cities who have done away with their municipalities there's a little bit more sharing of tax dollars Hmm. And so then it's, it's a little bit, I would say, not everyone would say this, but I, I would say that's a little bit more fair. There's equal opportunity there mm-hmm. when everyone can have a better education.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But as it is with our system of municipalities in St. Louis, all your tax dollars stay in your municipality. So, you know, Clayton... Brentwood the Galleria Mall is bringing in a ton of tax dollars that's a lot of tax revenue but it stays right there it doesn't go to black schools even though the black community is just like a few blocks away from the Galleria Mall
2: Mm -hmm.
0: um University City where we go to church is just it's not that far away but Hmm. they don't get those tax dollars and so I understand it's and when you're talking about anything at that level, it's, com- it's complex, it's complicated. But when you start asking, like, why are we maintaining these municipalities? If the answer is, well, you know, the people in Clayton have worked really hard for the money they have, they should be able to keep it. Okay, well, then we're defending the wealthy people instead of defending the poor people. And that doesn't seem right to me. And that doesn't seem like the gospel response that we should have.
2: So
1: the St. Louis City Police Department, that's not the police department for these different municipalities. No. Is it just covering um, kind of more like the downtown area and just real kind of close in? And I guess when you look at a map, you do see these different municipalities and stuff.
0: Yeah, there's like Mm. St. Louis City and then all of St. Louis County, Metropolitan or like all of St. Louis County are broken up into all these different little municipalities. Mm. And then the taxes that that municipality makes, um, most of the tax dollars stay in that municipality and some of them go to St. Louis County, um, but are not widely shared. Um, I was just sitting in a... This is funny. I was just happen to be listening in on a planning and zoning meeting in Afton for my neighborhood because they're building um, they're talking about building this really fancy subdivision in Afton that would bring in like 1.2 million dollars million tax dollars a year and most of those tax dollars are going to stay in Afton um, and like, like maybe a quarter of the tax dollars will go to St. Louis County because all the municipalities share the same like jail and court system and St. Mm-hmm. Louis County police officers, mm-hmm. but I don't think any of our any of those Afton tax dollars are going to go to the Normandy school district that is failing, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, like I grew up when I was a kid in the Fox area of the you know it's down around. Grand and South Grand and stuff like that, Um, and then we moved out to Afton. Um, So I, so I know that like Afton, it's its own separate thing and everything. Mm -hmm. But like the Fox neighborhood, is that like incorporate? Is that a part of the St. Louis? St. Louis tax? The St. Louis, or is it
0: that would be part of St. Louis City? St.
1: Louis City. So it's not its own municipality. So it's, yeah, trying to figure all this out. Um, That's kind of an interesting um, thing I've never thought about. Um.
0: It's it's really complex, mm-hmm. and so it's um, it takes some time to it takes some time to to learn about it and think about it. Like where okay, why why do we have these municipalities and other cities who don't have? Other cities that don't have them and have integrated better mm-hmm. don't have the same um, aren't segregated, and so the black community is able to um, have more of those advantages and even if you take the race even if you take race out of the picture, I mean sociologists tell us that it really benefits a whole community it It's not a good idea to um, have all the wealthy people, like little pockets of wealthy people and pockets of people in poverty. That it actually, it benefits the whole community if um, we can all be a little bit more together. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have an apartment complex where there are really wealthy, like penthouse suites, but also like really small one-bedroom apartments, so... The wealthy and the poor can be kind of in the same area because the wealthy people create a lot of tax dollars that benefit the poor people and the poor people are able to um, you know they're they get advantages from that and so that's why segregation racist practices from white people like we still feel those residual effects today right In in other cities where they've integrated better and I don't know if that's the right word for it what's the opposite of segregation
1: <laughs> I can't think of anything better <laughs> integrated
0: but in St. Louis where we have still kept the segregation alive
2: mm-hmm.
0: for a long time like it's still like things really haven't changed in 60 years mm-hmm. you know
1: so, um, so St. Louis City, it's considered its municipality, and it includes things like where I grew up and so forth. And um, if this was all the boundary lines of the municipalities were broken down, would that St. Louis City municipalities expand out to like include St. Louis County, Afton, Kirkwood, all of these? It would just be kind of like one big things that uh, kind Yeah, of so
0: um, those are the kind of conversations that are happening in St. Louis right now is one, rather than having all the municipalities, I mean all the municipalities are in St. Louis County so maybe we could just okay. call them all St. Louis County Okay. and then there's a larger conversation of, well maybe we should all just be St. Louis like, and not have city, county, municipality, we would all just be St. Louis like there's like all of Chicago or all of New York or you know like they don't have these municipalities like we would just call the whole area St. Louis I see and when you look at it that way I mean like our crime rates would look a lot better in St. Louis because I mean right now you're just looking at like downtown St. Louis City area you know mm-hmm. but if we were all considered St. Louis there would be a little bit more sharing of tax dollars and a little bit better um, education and, you know, um, I think about things like when Amazon was thinking about um, coming to St. Louis some years ago, and they looked at a lot of different cities, and there's probably a lot of reasons why they didn't choose St. Louis, but one of the reasons that they, Amazon pointed out is that they looked at our ninth grade math classes throughout St. Louis, and they said, your ninth grade math scores are terrible. Hmm. And so they knew that we couldn't produce enough coders in -hmm. the future to work for Amazon. Hmm. And so I feel like, come on, St. Louis, like we can all work together a little bit more here. But just the attitude of, well, I don't care. You know, I think all the municipalities should keep their own money. I don't care about what the education system looks like in the black half of St. Louis. I don't care that you know, it's kind of a poverty trap. Yeah, like I, I don't care. <laughs> I just don't think that is the right answer. One because it's so uncaring, um, and it's 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 it feels like white people not caring about black people, even though they're in the north half of St. Louis in this poverty trap created by segregation that white people created. Mm -hmm. But also because it would just help St. Louis all together Mm -hmm. if we could all work together a little bit more. And there are all kinds of statistics and numbers about how, like if we could just help more people get their GED, they would make an extra $7,000 a year. And how many more tax dollars St. Louis would have if we could just make sure that everyone graduates high school or gets a GED. We mm-hmm. would have so many more tax dollars yeah. that could be pumped back into North St. Louis that would help their education system and their police departments.
1: So there are some areas of St. Louis that are nicer, more wealthy. Like I guess St. Louis Hills is kind of like a nicer area. So that their tax dollars, are they helping... Like uh, North St. Louis?
0: Um, I think if you're in St. Louis City, uh-huh. your tax dollars stay in St. Louis City. You, don't, so are, you are, don't help North County.
1: Well, not North County, but like um, North City, where which North City is like probably the worst area, I think. Um,
0: yeah, that's still St. Louis City. Yes. So if so. you're like in South City. Right. Yeah. Your,
1: your tax dollars are helping North City. So yeah. there's. Okay.
0: But I I get the sense that, like, all of the St. Louis City school districts aren't very good. Like, St. Louis City doesn't produce a whole lot of income.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah. um.
0: And that's why there are so many charter schools and private schools in St. Louis— In St. Louis alone, there are more private schools than in some of the other states. Hmm. And that also has to do with... Years ago, you know, a few decades ago, white people would rather create a private school to send their kids to than, you know, let their white kids go to school with black kids. And that's why we have so many private schools in St. Louis. I think if we funded the schools more maybe we wouldn't maybe people wouldn't feel the need to send their kids to private schools so much I don't know this is really complicating for me because we're kind of in the situation where we we would like to move but we want to be in a good school district Mm -hmm. and so um, that's very limiting and we can't afford a lot of houses in the better school districts we would like to live in St. Louis City, but we don't want to we don't want to be in the city school districts. So <laughs> I know that um, probably doesn't um mean as much to you cuz you're a homeschool family. <laughs> yeah. But that's, you know, what a lot of a lot of families are thinking about and worrying about.
1: Yeah. Yeah, inequality is not a desirable thing for a society. I think that's just kind of understood, um, that it causes instability. Um, there's a certain amount of inequality that just goes with capitalism. Um, and it's kind of like a necessary evil, but when that gets extreme, I think it's just understood that is not a desirable thing, you know? Um, and it, it does make sense, you know, how you've explained it, that racism has uh, you know contributed and produced this thing that we're still feeling the effects of. I don't know how bad racism is right now. I hope you know that it that it's not uh, as far as like people judging people by people's skin or just not liking black people. Um, right.
0: I think, um, and that's why I feel like I feel like we could get better at talking about these sorts of things um i know like these are kind of awkward conversations to have but i think we could get better about it because no like for the most part i don't think there are you know when i think about myself or my family or all the white people that i've met throughout my entire lifetime like people aren't sitting around talking bad about black people you know like people aren't rubbing their hands like how can I take down the black community, you know, like, we don't see that. Um, It's not so much on the individual level, although there are, I mean, there are good studies that show that there are still a lot of um, companies and hiring managers who won't even read a black person's resume, you know, they toss out those resumes. Or... Landlords who won't rent to a black person you know like that sort of thing still happens and hmm. still harms black people but more than that you know it's not so much on the individual level as at like a higher level like like the municipalities or other things like you know um, um, we pump tons of money into paying for our jails and jail staff and um, all things surrounding that and um, in St. Louis actually in Missouri we are really lacking in public defenders and so people stay in jail longer Hmm. in some other cities and other states people get out of jail quicker because they have more public defenders but in Missouri we have a real real problem about that because you know a Um, if you're poor and you go to jail, um, you probably can't pay for a lawyer. So you need a public defender to defend you, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: but public defenders don't make very much money. Mm -hmm. And so they, um, so there aren't that many of them. And so what that means is that people sit in jail longer. And, um, and so that also harms the black community Mm -hmm. because most of the people in our jail are black. Um, just to be honest. And so I would like to know, okay, why is it more important to put lots of money towards the jail to house people and keep them in jail for a long time when we could just pay our public defenders more? Like a public defender makes, I don't know, I looked into this at one time, they make like $45,000 a year. What if they all got a raise and they all made an extra $20,000 a year? Mm -hmm. It costs $20,000 a year to keep one inmate in jail. Hmm. So at the Missouri level, like conscious decisions are made, budgeting decisions, Mm -hmm. where we could put more money public defenders where perhaps more people would be willing to be a public defender Mm -hmm. or we could come up with a solution kind of like Teach for America where if you commit to being a public defender for a few years or something will pay off your student loans something to incentivize people to become public defenders that would help people get out of jail quicker and back to their families Mm -hmm. but instead we make a decision to not do that and instead We're going to put a lot of money to jail, you know, and it's it's things like that that um, I think it's more appropriate to start using words like systemic or structural because it's not like individual racism Mm -hmm. is creating that, but it does harm the black community. It keeps a lot of black men in jail for a long time. When they could be, they could go home.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Or they might not go home. I mean, a lot of them, um, people in jail will go to prison. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of statistics around that, too. <laughs>
1: um, I don't know if you've looked into this, but there's been, there's been efforts to try to integrate. And from what I've heard, a lot of them have failed and just not done, been very profitable. But one of the things that seems so awkward, but ha- has had some good results, was what was going on when I was in school. Was um, busing people from lower economic places. It would be a lot of. Uh, it was mainly black people into like the county, and it will have them go to county school. Um, and for some reason, I've, I don't. Know, I've just it was just from listening to things that that had good results. Like it. Introducing people to that culture and the schooling, um, it was like a good. It it worked. It was a program that worked somewhat. I don't know if that's still being you know still going on or not.
0: Yeah, but, I don't know. Yeah, but that's. I think that's a good example of someone trying to come up with a solution. Like, okay, what? Let's put our heads together and figure this out. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I worry when um, it seems like white people feel really offended by these types of conversations or just want to shut it down I feel like okay well that's not that's not coming up with any helpful solutions or helpful ideas Mm -hmm.
1: yeah um well anything else um as far as like I think of myself I'm um kind of isolated. I live out in Jefferson County and uh, um, just any thoughts for the common person um, about what you know good good things to do or you know just I don't know
0: uh. <laughs> yeah um, you know I I, I feel like Maybe growing up in a mainly white community, these aren 't the types of things that we talk about or think about or mm-hmm. um, I mean we just don 't th- really think about them and I think there could be more more conversation more conversation with our children um, you know i don 't like remember my family ever talking to me about racism, I think it's just kind of quietly understood that racism is wrong but we don't talk about it that much and so then you still have people um, you know, landlords who don't want to rent to black people or like there are still people who have these feelings that um, you know, they may say well I'm not a racist but and then they still make decisions in in their jobs or whatnot that can harm black people And so I do think that we need to be better about talking to our families about it. Like, it's not enough to just be quietly, like, to just quietly understand that racism is wrong. I think we actually need to talk about it. And um, I read a a study once that said that, um, you know, small children, it's kind of normal for small children if, if we don't talk about these things. It's kind of normal for small children to look at kids of another race, like kind of sideways, you know, like a little distrusting or I don't really like them or they're different. Like that's kind of a normal response. Hmm. Um, Just like being selfish or being prideful is kind of our normal human tendency. And so just like we have to teach our children how to choose the good and right thing I think we need to teach them and talk to them about um, treating everyone with love and respect and fairness Um, but also I think um, you know where else would this moral education happen and I don't really think of moral education as happening in the public school system and so I, I would think that churches should be a leader in this effort um, but it, but it just feels like it feels like churches aren't ready for that yet. Like it, it feels like white people are just kind of in recent years kind of learning or waking up to the fact that we are a racial group, and so. But I I think we need to talk about it more. I think we could talk about it in churches. Um, when Larry Rice was running for mayor a few years ago in St. Louis. He had an idea that um, white churches and black churches could create partnerships um, and get to get to know each other more and work on, you know, ministries or programs together. Just to it would just to put them in proximity to each other so that they um, would kind of learn what each other is dealing with or just the way that each other views the world and what they're affected by. And I thought that was. A really great idea like how do we we're still so segregated mm-hmm. in st louis how could we build some partnerships so that we can just be in closer proximity to care for one another a little bit more mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know what that would look like
1: <laughs> well thanks amanda i guess we'll wrap it up from here i mean for for now but i really appreciate your time and just the thoughts that you've shared and it's been helpful to me so thanks
0: and thank you so much for asking me to be on your podcast it was really nice
1: if you use a podcast app like iTunes please give a review of conversations about life